Hello, and welcome to Awesome Leaders, Lessons for Food Business Success, a podcast aimed at supporting the development and growth of women-owned food and beverage processing businesses in the Canadian prairies. Our guests include industry experts, as well as food and beverage entrepreneurs to provide knowledge, real-world examples, and inspiration. My name is Carly, and on behalf of the Awesome Program, I'll be your host today. This is a special episode as we are sharing a live panel discussion from the first ever in-person awesome conference that took place on November 9th, 2022 in Saskatoon. This episode covers the industry outlook panel. Listen in to hear from the three women leading in the agri-food sector as they discuss opportunities, challenges, technology, and the impact of women in agri-food. This panel panel was moderated by Miriam Johnson, CEO of Women Entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan. Enjoy. Welcome to the Industry Outlook panel. Uh, In the next 45 minutes, we're going to discuss the Canadian agri-food sector. We'll touch on innovative innovative ideas, challenges the industry faces, upcoming trends, and the impact of women in the industry. The agriculture and agri-food sector is a major contributor to the Canadian economy. Canada's food system is resilient and innovative. It sustains our environment and supports our economy. But even in 2021, the whole agriculture and agri-food system employed 2.1 million people, provided one in nine jobs in Canada, and generated 135 billion of Canada's gross domestic product. Women have been critical of, I'll start that over because we have to really give this some time. Women have been a critical part of farm and ranch operations across the country and around the globe for centuries. While women may have been underestimated in the past, it's clear that the power of women in agriculture should not be misjudged. I think we've got three wonderful examples here today. From the roles on the farm in agribusiness, in non-traditional positions, research, and everything in between, women have powerful stories to tell and there is a unique opportunity for them to change the way we want to see, well, how we want to see the industry. It's my pleasure to introduce the panelists who are leading women in Saskatchewan agri-food industry, Karen Churchill, there at the far left, uh, President and CEO of AgWest Bio, Natasha Vandenherk, CEO of Three Farmers, and Shannon Hood-Niefer, Chief Technology Officer at Sunnydale Foods. To kick things off, we're actually gonna start with Karen. Karen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at AgWest Bio? Sure. I'm a quiet speaker, so I think I have to use this. Um, Obviously, I'm Karen Churchill. I'm a food scientist by training, and I think I say my first real job was with M&M Mars. And one of the products that I worked on was actually specifically targeting women. It was called Mars Delight. And you may notice that it isn't available in any stores. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, that was my kickoff, and then I spent a lot of years uh, doing quality and regulatory affairs for Cargill Malt, and then I became an advocate for wheat before stepping into this role with AgWest Bio about three years ago. Um, you know, I think many of you have heard of AgWest Bio, but if you haven't, we've been around for a long time. We are Saskatchewan's Bioscience Industry Association, and we've been around since 1989, and our mandate is to move research and innovation to market. And we do that in a number of ways. We, are a, we build communities, we try and connect people, we act as a catalyst to form partnerships and collaborations. 
And we also have entrepreneurs who come to us. They're looking for mentorship. They're looking for information and sometimes funding. And we will provide funding in a very specific space. So you may know that early in your journey, you tend to use up a lot of your own cash. And then you move on to family and friends. And you're still not ready for venture capital because the food business and egg business, it takes a while. So we will step in and provide you some of that gap loans that you need before you're ready for venture capital. And banks, of course, are a long way off. Um, yeah, so I think that that's all I can say about Ag West Bio. Well, fantastic. I've got my first question is for you, Karen. And, you know, agriculture is typically, you know, a very hands-on uh, and traditional industry. But how can technology be implemented to increase efficiency and streamline production? You know, it's true. Agriculture is very, very slow to change. Um, like malting was. And actually we're driven now by necessity. And I think one of the problems we have in when we're starting a business in this area or even just growing your business or staying efficient and, and making money is that you don't know what you don't know. And there is so much out there that one of the things we've tried to do at Ag West is host events where people will come to us and say, well, this is the problem. And we try and stack the room with people who may have answers to that problem or actually just great minds, you know, two plus two will equal 11 every time, and we'll come up with solutions. Um, so I can think of a number of ways that that's working for us. Um, Joanne is in the room, Joanne Baxick. She's leading the Saskatoon Food and Ingredient Processing Cluster. And one of the things that we identified as a need is supply chain issues, right? They're a big problem right now. So we've starting a, a pilot program where we're going to use artificial intelligence to actually start to identify the companies in our network that have different supply needs. So if you ran out of plastic film and your supplier is normally in Calgary, this type of software will help you identify somebody local. So that's sort of types and efficiencies that you can find. Um, one of the other things, and for a very agriculture-based example, is, you know, it's cold, and farmers have to go out and check their cows, um, especially in calving season. But now there's technology that is, I just liken to a Fitbit for cattle that you can put on, on them, and it will monitor their health, not just their location and traceability. So t ear tags are quite common now, but now you can actually monitor whether they're gestating, whether they're dehydrated, whether they're sick. So those are the kinds of things that are really helping change, game changers for egg and food. That's a perfect leeway into, because you're really talking about innovation and, um, but you know, on that same thread, um, you know, what initiatives in innovation and commercialization are up and coming in agriculture and agri-food in particular? I mean, you know, I'm not sure that I nailed this question, but I know that there is so many initiatives out there that it can be super overwhelming for an entrepreneur to try and figure out, well, what, what's going to meet their needs? And there are a number of programs. Prairies Can actually is starting to announce some that will help pathfinding. Um, IRAP helps small companies with innovation. Um, Protease and Industries Canada has just launched a new initiative around artificial intelligence. Um, Ag West, of course, we, we have a lot, of, that's our mandate is to move innovation, but we actually partnered with the Food Center and the Global Institute for Food Security and Innovation Place 
to launch what's called the Global Agri-Food Advancement Center Partnership, the GAP for short, and it's right next door. So, you know, ag and food, I mentioned they take a long time. So this is a really unique program where you can stay physically in the labs and use the labs and offices next door for up to three years and be provided cash. So that's one of the initiatives that really could be a game changer. Um, there's the Saskatoon Food and Ingredient Processing Cluster, which I mentioned, and it's going to be renamed the Prairie Food Link, and that will help you. Of course, there's Awesome, which is, you know, a great... There's... Hannah from Zap Creative is here in the audience. She has Food Connect. And sometimes it's just finding the people that you need type of initiatives uh, that, will launch, that will guide you into specific programs that are out there. Thank you very much. And Karen, we're not done because we're going to be going into more panel discussions here for a moment. But next is Natasha. Natasha, can you tell us about your background and a little bit about Three Farmers? Sure. So I'm Natasha Vandenherk. I'm one of the founders and the CEO at Three Farmers Foods. Um, we're a brand and a manufacturer of whole roasted bean snacks based right here in Saskatchewan. Um, so my background, I grew up on a farm. Um, I'm one of six kids and um, it's my sister and I that run this company. My dad is one of the farmers. Um, so I completely understand the challenges of being a primary producer working on the farm. But I can't really say that I actually could connect with those until, you know, starting with three farmers and really understanding the challenges of, of taking something right from farmer all the way to consumer, um, you know, through that whole value chain. Um, so three farmers, where we're at today, we started in 2009, we started with a product called Camelina oil. Um, it's a, a culinary oil. It's an oil seed that we grow here in Saskatchewan. We were first to market with it. Pioneered the industry for it, took it to shelf. We did Dragon's Den, got national exposure, and that's how we um, really opened up national distri distribution across the country, but soon realized that we were going to need to build out the brand if we were going to survive. Um, and then in 2014, that's when we landed with our uh, roasted chickpea snacks. So started with roasted chickpea snacks in 2014, and then we launched a pea line, and then our most recent lines are our lentils and our favas, um, which we're leading with into the U.S. now. Uh, so our products are distributed coast to coast um, across all major retailers, hitting Costco in the new year. And like I said, we're building out our networks into the U.S. now. So um, yeah, so lots of pains and challenges along the way. I would say at this point in my career and, and the life of Three Farmers, I probably align more on this whole consumer packaged goods side and all of the challenges that come with that versus sort of the pre primary egg. But um, um, but certainly always happy to be part of the conversation um, when it comes to agriculture and sustainability and all that good stuff. Absolutely, and I think when Dr. Jalil talked about watching this room and the success stories that are happening, I think you know a lot, there's so much uh, that I know entrepreneurs have looked at Three Farmers as you know just even watching your story, how it has unfolded, so uh, kudos. Uh, but specifically, Three Farmers is also an advocate for sustainable agriculture. Uh, can you expand on that by explaining what sustainable ag agriculture is and why you feel it's so important? Yeah, and I, I think we've always tried to take a holistic approach to what we think about uh, when we think about sustainable agriculture. And this is a really timely question because I think a few of us in the room were at a, a conference last week in Toronto. Um, it was a plant-based conference, so obviously there's a whole environmental um, angle to that. But when we think about uh, sustainable agriculture, it really is sort of three-pronged. There's the social, there's the economic, and then there's the environment piece to it. And so, I mean, the social piece, we have a world to feed. Uh, the population is growing, and we need nutrient-dense food and proper distribution 
distribution networks to get them get food across the world and to all people of the world, not just those that are privileged like us to live in North America, right? Um, so that's the social angle. There's the economic perspective. Um, so farmers need to make money, um, but also it needs to be affordable for people. And again, people of all places and all demographics, not just those of us that are fortunate to, to be able to afford high nutrient, clean food. Um, and then lastly, the environment. So, I mean, we need to be taking care of our soils. And, um, and I think this is where continual learning is really important, right? We can't put ourselves in a box and say, okay, we've got all the check marks of being organic. We must be sustainable. That's really not the case. Um, so when I think about sustainable agriculture overall, it's really the intersection of all three of those. And when we found balance amongst the three of those things. And that is also very challenging because it's constantly changing and evolving. And so I think it's really important to have all stakeholders in the room when we're talking about sustainable agriculture. And maybe if there was one miss in that um, conference last week, there was, there was no uh, beef producers in that room, right? The, the conversation couldn't be whole because it was somewhat one-sided, right? We need balance and perspective. And so, um, yeah, that's how we think about sustainable agriculture. It's an ongoing conversation and evolution. And I think, yeah, that uh, that's phenomenal. But in, I think you even touched on it that your uh, Toronto conference even addressed it. But do you feel like now it is actually becoming more of a common practice? Are people saying we're being intentional now? This is what we're going to be doing? Or do you think there's still a lot of room for opportunity? Well, it's definitely a big conversation. It's become a necessity. I think that was already mentioned, like um, sustainable agriculture. It's it, it's necessary to have this conversation now. So I think that I think it is top of mind. Um, but it's not like farming practice, if we think about primary agriculture, it's not mandated how you farm, right? I think we have some farmers on the one end of the extreme that are trialing different things and, it, and it's very top of mind and they're willing to sacrifice yield one year to try something different. But then we've got the other end of the extreme as well where they're just going to do the same thing that we've been doing for the last hundred years. And... And I think a conversation needs to happen there between all of these producers to figure out that it's not just about yield anymore, right? We, if we're depleting our soils to the point that it can't grow anything 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road, that's, that's not good for anybody either. So um, yeah, I think the conversations just need to be happening and with all the right stakeholders in the room. It can't just be one-sided anymore. That's phenomenal. And just for everyone in the room, um, if there are questions, make sure you're keeping them in mind. We will be moving into a Q&A, so I know there's a lot of gems and there's a lot of pieces that are being said right now. Don't lose them. Keep them uh, in mind. We will be going to a group Q&A here in just a moment. Shannon. Shannon, can you tell us about yourself and your experience in the agri-food sector? Sure. Good morning, everyone. I'm Shannon Hoodneifer. I am, like Karen, a food scientist, and so I have several degrees in that, and I also have a bachelor's in nutrition and an MBA. I've spent the last 20 years working in the food industry, starting with an ingredient company here in town, helping them develop new ingredients, uh, regulatory, everybody's favorite food safety. Um, and so, which, thank goodness for the food safety people, because I'm not good at that. Um, and then I spent the last 12 and a half years at the Saskatchewan Food Centre where I led the extrusion program and the ingredient uh, innovation program and helped with the awesome program get going. And now I'm currently with Sunnydale Foods, which is an ingredient company in town which makes protein, starch, fiber and flour from pea and faba bean. Um, by fun, I like to spend my time outside. <laughs> That's me in a nutshell. What you hear in November. We've got a 
I'm packing for Lake Louise, so oh, okay. Friday I'm You're out ready. of town. <laughs> You're ready. Um, you have an extensive experience. You have extensive experience in ingredient innovation, developing new food products, and assisting entrepreneurs in growing their businesses. What upcoming trends do you see in the food and beverage beverage industry? I'm going to actually go back to uh, a thread that we were just pulling on earlier, and I think a lot of it has to do with sustainable food manufacturing all the way farm to fork. And it's just to pick up on a bit what Natasha said, part of this is is that we don't even, as we move through the process of becoming more and more sustainable, both socially and economically, or not both, but ec socially, economically, and environmentally, we're going to uncover rocks. We're, we didn't quite know, so it's super important that we have all of the people in the room. And so just even as an example, I was having a conversation last week. I was at Supply Side West last week, okay. not, not at Plant Forward. But, you know, one of the th topics that came up with was, you know, the tires, as we're driving down the road, their decomposition is actually reducing sockeye salmon. Uh, numbers. It's one of the things, and I was like, of all the things, I never even thought that me driving down the road is going to influence something. You know, so there's going to be all of these things that we just need to keep mindful and be present to make sure that we're listening and bringing all of the partners and all of the stakeholders in. I still think that from just a, I, I like to watch the trends. I because uh, I think that's that's where as entrepreneurs and as uh, food. People in, in it, when you're developing new food products, you need to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on um, so that you know when to pivot because your product only has a shelf life of so long um, or a life cycle of so long. The, it's just keeping your tabs. I think Alt-Dairy is uh, the next thing and I think we also need to spend a bunch of time on sustainable packaging. Well, that's agreed, um, which kind of takes me into this next question, too, which is, you know, when, you know, there's a lot of people who are either starting or, you know, trying to scale a business or even just having a general idea. Um, and when it comes to starting a food or beverage business, do you think someone needs to have a strong background in business or a large amount of experience to actually launch a company? And it sounds like you've got, you know, the, the years of experience now that you have watched a lot of this happen. Um, you know, is there any feedback to this to this group that you could provide there that this is this is this was this was my loaded <laughs> question I read that and I was like oh Bryn. <laughs> you can call on your panelists you can like tap the panelist the, in too this is a, this is an open the, open mic so for me when I thought about the answer to this question I, there is an amazing amount of skill set an entrepreneur needs, <clears throat> which I'm not an entrepreneur. I work for an entrepreneur, <laughs> so and I've touched many, many entrepreneurs over the course of my career. There, it's it's not one thing; it's all of the things. I think it's the person or the suite of people that can multitask, but then recognize the skill set that's missing. And so obviously, yes, you need to have a great idea, but that great idea needs to fit a market gap that people are willing to put money on the table for time and time again. Um, so it's not just, oh, I'm willing to try that, but yes, I'm willing to try that, and it was good enough that I go back. So you need a product that fits the market gap with people willing to put cash on the table to do it. You also need to be able to sell. Sell, 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 because if you don't have top line revenue, you are not going to make it, whether you've got the best product on the market or not. You have to be able to sell, and if you can't sell, you need to find somebody that can. So those are my top two. Um, but yeah, after that, it's maximize your strength and skill set and hire for what you can't do. 
Any additions to that, Natasha, Coming, having that prime experience as well? Well, I mean, I, I started this company when I was 24, so clearly I had no, no experience, and I don't have an MBA. So can it be done from scratch? Absolutely. But you are going to make a lot of mistakes, and it's going to take a lot more time because you're learning as you go. Um, so I think experience, experience and education, I think, can fast-track things. But there are death traps in that too, right? Um, thinking you know when you don't know, right? And, and that's one thing that we've never, I've always known how much I don't know. And I think that's probably one of the things that's made us successful is I am not afraid to ask for help. I am not afraid to say I don't know and go find that, like to your point, fill gaps when I'm not good at something or I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so I think we just have to be, that's that being honest with ourselves about like where we're at. And those can be dark moments, but if you can get to the other side, it's just well worth it. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I don't think you ever reach a point in anyone's career where you stop asking for questions and, or, or you think you actually know. I don't think you act, act, ever reach that point in a professional career where you go, I've reached that level. I know everything now. Um, so I'm moving into group questions. And, you know, so there's an opportunity for, for each of the panelists now to, to kind of give their, their, their thoughts and feedback. Um, but this first group question is, you know, the industry has faced many challenges in the recent years. What challenges have you seen and what solutions should be focused on the future? Each of you have very individual, you know, backgrounds and unique journeys. Um, you know, so I would imagine there's there's probably going to be some themes um, in this, but also some differences. So, um, Karen, would you like to go first, or are you like no, oh, and someone no. else? <laughs> because there's going to be the the challenges that we're facing are very broad and huge, right? So there's definitely going to be overlap, I'm sure, because I picked the big ones. I mean, climate change. People tell you climate change is the only one because it's about humanity. Um, you know, and sustainability and climate change are hugely linked together, and uh, food security. And its flip side, of course, is minimizing food waste. And those are the things that right now everybody's business has to think about. And there's, you know, Shannon mentioned some of the solutions with, you know, edible packaging to prevent spoilage. There's just such amazing amount of challenges and, and people rising to address those challenges. Uh, supply chain issues and labor shortages also affecting everybody. And of course, food safety and traceability, you said uh, farm to fork, and I'm gonna say field to plate. Um, but it's more than just food safety, which is actually a strength in Canada, but we also want healthy and affordable food. We, we want it all. So there is no shortage of challenges. Um, focus. <laughs> you have to focus on them all, but to Natasha's point, you personally don't have to focus on them all. You have to focus on what you're good at and where your passion is, and then bring in the community, uh, bring in a team, uh, look for support elsewhere, have an other organization speak to their strengths, and that's what you, as a nation, is what we the way we need to handle that as a team. Wonderful, um, Natasha, do you have? A any thoughts on that? That's yeah, I guess on the front end, like a supply chain issues are a huge issue. Right? But for a consumer packaged goods brand going to market right now or trying to innovate and go to market, I think like access to capital is going to be a problem, right? That's obviously tightening up right now. So, and that is huge. I mean, if we hadn't, we were fund and funded in sort of a, a strange sort of way when we started. We had three farmers that were willing to just like do whatever it, it took. And that was like instrumental to our success because... 
I wasn't worried about figuring out how to build an investment strategy and go find money. The money was there. I could worry about getting the product to market, right? The selling part of things. So that took a huge strain off of me for like the first five years of this business, six years of this business. That's that. So yeah, I think the access to capital is going to be a huge problem for new products coming to market. And then because of that, less products coming to market, there's just going to be less choice at shelf and it's going to drive prices up. And we're already seeing it. Look at the inflation at the grocery store. It's unbelievable, right? And so, um, and then that squeeze, because obviously we have very limited ability to pass our prices, our costs on, is also going to weed out more brands. So again, less choice. So it's just all multiplying into this big problem that ultimately consumers are going to pay for. Time frame? Like, do you kind of go, do you feel that this is something imminent? Um, do you think this is like a five to 10 year um, issue that we're really facing or more long term? Well, consumer packaged goods company, we don't have long runways. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of deaths in 2023 of brands. I just, yeah, the, the money's not there. And, and if they can't get profitable, which lots can't because if you're co packing, you have no way of getting more efficient. I think 2023 will be a really telltale. Shannon, thoughts on this? Well, they stole all the good ones. <laughs> Sorry, I'll go. We'll go first with you. I, Next just, question. I'm just kidding. The so supply chain and volatility of of pricing for raw materials, in addition to the the inflation, I think that's going to be our critical piece moving moving forward. Um, access to capital is absolutely critical, especially for the entrepreneurs in this room. I think that there's. Um, a smaller pocket or smaller smaller pockets and it's a little bit harder to convince people to give women entrepreneurs and um, minorities uh, cash to build things and then I the one that I will add to this group is access to commands and so access to the a facility that can get you going before while you're building your own facility or if you just want to be a brand manager um, have you uh, just a a safe place for you to get quality, good quality products out the door day in, day out, lot to lot. Um, that will be uh, still a critical piece and, and there's not a lot out there. So I think that's the other gap. Okay, we've got one last question. So before we open up uh, to the audience, uh, I would like to ask our panelists one more thing. Uh, the perception of women and agriculture has significantly improved over the years and women are receiving the rec recognition that they well deserve. However, there is still room for improvement. Uh, how do you each feel the role of women in agriculture is changing? And you know, specifically, you know, what impact are women having in the industry? And what advice do you have for women looking to grow within their own businesses uh, or companies that they work for? So Biggie and Shannon, you're first because I mean. <laughs> You care what you wish for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, what they said. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I do think the recognition is coming. I, like 25 years ago, when I first started in, in food and ag, uh, it's for sure a, a different field. It feels different. It's, but maybe that's just me being old and confident and maybe a bit grouchy. The other last week, so when I travel, I travel with a, with, with a with a resistance band that I've probably traveled with for probably like 25 years. And it broke, like smashed into like a bajillion pieces on me last weekend, last week. And I sent a texture picture of this to my husband. I was like, the band broke because it's old and crusty, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I also think it's, you know, for, for those of us, it's just being comfortable in, in who you are and your confidence and just being able to just to go out there and, and do the thing. Um, and I think that we've had many, many women blaze trails um, and that those of us in this room are blazing trails for the next group and it will just become easier and easier as we continue to go on. Um, but if somebody could also find a way to, because I run, I have an acreage and I would love to be able to get that snowblower on without the help of my husband, but I actually need the physical strength. And so if like we have like robotic arms or something like that, that would be awesome. I think we need to gift you a new band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I already bought it. Oh, okay, okay. But appreciate it. <laughs> Natasha. Yeah, I think this one is, I mean, traditionally, I guess, women, I think, if, again, if we think about primary agriculture, they played that supporting role. So it was always like you had the traditional sort of male leading, and then you had women in support roles. And again, no different in our industry, right? You always had men in the leadership roles and women in the support roles. And that is slowly changing. This stuff takes time, right? And um, so, I, I mean, I find it in our organization, I hire women. I understand women. They think like me. We communicate well. So I, we hire people in our likeness. So the more women we get in leadership roles, the more opportunity there are for women. And so I, I think it, it's, it's happening. It's changing. It's just sometimes slower than we would like. And women just, we just present ourselves differently. <laughs> like, you know, anyways, for all the males in the room, but what I think, the, like this concept of like blind confidence, right? Mm -hmm. Men have that. Women don't have that. Like if we're gonna be confident, it's because we know and we're sure we know, right? And, and, and men have it are, are different. So with more women in leadership roles, you can sort of navigate through that a little bit better. And again, it gives more opportunity to women, so. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very good. And I also think that we also touched on the fact that, you know, you never know everything. So I think that the confidence does still come even though you don't mm -hmm. know everything. And so it's just a flip of the, it's that steel beam down your back and, you know, that, the, that you know you're going to go and find it out even if, because no one knows everything. Karen. Well, this is a, a topic actually I speak on quite a bit, so I can go for half an hour. I'll try not to. Um, what she said. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I applied for the job at Egg West Bio, I said to my good friend, I said, I'm, I'm going to apply for this job because people asked me to and I feel obligated. I have a snowball's chance in hell of getting it. And, well, welcome to hell, I guess. <laughs> um, no, thank goodness I did. That's a fundamental difference between men and women, right? But... Also, when you talk about women in egg, last week's conference, women in egg sold out. Um, you know, so there is huge successes. Um, over 50% of the entry-level um, jobs in life and life sciences and food in the College of Agriculture are women. The, the thing where we still need groups like Awesome and groups like Women in Bio is because it drops down to less than 30% in C-suite. Right? So we're not sticking it out because we need the confidence. We need support. So we need to, to learn how to operate in that and get all the way through to the end. Um, when you do find companies, it's a, a proven statistic that companies with more than 30% women in their C-suite are 25% more profitable than less diverse companies. So I think it's, it's about diversity. It's about bringing all the different skills to the table that makes a company more successful. And 
you know, learning from each other is really a powerful way of actually starting to break down the barriers that still actually, I'm sorry to say, do exist. There's still a glass ceiling and there's still a wage disparity. And those are uh, just things that we have to keep on fighting to change. The Awesome Program is an initiative of the Saskatchewan Food Centre and is funded by Prairies Economic Development Canada through the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy Ecosystem Fund. We are here to support women-owned food businesses through education, advising, and industry connections. Although we are based in Saskatoon, we serve members in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. For more information, visit the show notes or head to our website at beawesome.ca.